0: Hello, I'm Casey Hobbs. I have one of the best jobs around. I get to work with nearly 100 adults and nearly 200 teenagers who volunteer their time, inspiring passion to conserve the natural world at the Birmingham Zoo. Today, I want to introduce you to one. So grab your cup. It's time for Coffee with a Docent. Okay, today we have with us Sally Hirschberg. Sally has been a volunteer and a docent at the Birmingham Zoo since 2006. Sally typically is holding an animal, um, doing that animal handling, introducing our guests to everything from Ernie the tortoise to hissing cockroaches, uh, to all sorts of things. Sally, thanks for being on the call today.
1: You're welcome, it's my pleasure.
0: Well, first question today, Sally, Mm -hmm. have you always loved animals?
1: Yes, I have. And I've always loved zoos. And since I moved to Birmingham, I've always loved the Birmingham Zoo.
0: Did you have some early experiences with animals and zoos? Uh,
1: No, no, which is really weird. Uh, I'm an only child and you'd think they would have gotten me a pet, but they never did. (laughs) (laughs) Except for one of those, couple of those little dime store turtles that we used to be able to buy. And I did have a parakeet and I adored him. I just, I don't know where I got my love for animals. Maybe my grandparents, maybe somebody back in uh, my his you know, my family tree somewhere. But I've always loved them and had an empathy for them. So as soon as I moved out of my parents' house, I got my first cat and the rest, as they say, is history.
0: Okay, Sally, you've been an animal handler at our zoo for a long time. What can you tell us yep. about introducing our animals up close to our guests?
1: Well um, first of all I do, I just want to say that um, ever since I've been in, when I first got to be an animal handler, one of the things I realized right away was how dedicated the ACPs, the animal care professionals, that work in ambassador animals were to the physical and mental health of the animals and I really wanted to be a big part of that. So that's one of the reasons I chose to be an animal handler. And what I love about introducing animals to people is that we get to, I get to educate them, number one, on animals that they don't know anything about sometimes. And number two, animals that they may have been frightened of and I actually have an example. I was doing an animal demo for a birthday party. This was several years ago. It was back when we still had the old auditorium and um, some of the older volunteers and docents and staff members will remember the old auditorium. It was cool. It was falling apart but it was cool. (laughs) It had stadium seating. It could hold 200 people so the seats went you know from the ground up just like in a theater. It was like a theater and when we do birthday parties, we ask beforehand if a snake, if it's okay to bring a snake, because some people don't want snakes. Right. In this particular case, they said it was okay. They didn't say no. So I took a snake. Well, the people came in and the birthday girl and her mother came in. So I took the mother aside and I did say, I said, you didn't request no snakes. So I brought a snake. I hope that's okay. Well, my mother got this look.
0: Uh-oh.
1: Uh huh. And she, yeah, she said, Well, it might be okay for my daughter, but I won't get anywhere near it. With that, the kids all sat in the front row. It wasn't a huge party, all sat in the front row. The mother went all the way up to the very top of the auditorium. So I went on to talk about the snake and I explained all the reasons that snakes do what they do. I explained their adaptations. Uh, I explained what they eat, how they're good, you know, good for the environment because they keep rodents under control, et cetera, et cetera. Well then, the next thing we do in birthday parties is we let the birthday child pet the animal first, then let all the other kids pet, then the birthday child gets to be the last one to pet as well. Sure. So I wasn't paying any attention to this mother at the top of the, the place. And I was over there letting the birthday kid, letting every birthday kid pet, letting all the other kids pet. When I came back to the birthday child, the mother was sitting right behind her, Hmm. reached over and touched the snake. So to me, that says how important educating can be when talking to people about animals, how it can change their perception very quickly once they know something about the animal. A lot of times I have found the children are not the problem it's the parents yeah i used to do school programs kids the kids are not inherently afraid of or not empathetic to animals right it's the parents the more we can educate the children they can help educate the parents
0: yeah and i wonder how transformative that moment was for the kids to see mom yeah. come down and encounter the snake.
1: You know, the more you know, to me, education is is paramount. And I didn't even realize that when I first started to volunteer at the
0: zoo. Yeah, and something you said a couple minutes ago about mental health. Um, Of Mm -hmm. course, you know, people know that zoos care about the physical health of animals that hopefully should be apparent, you can go without saying. But the mental health piece I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what you've seen and learned about how the ACPs and how the the zoo in general, um, cares for the mental health of our animals.
1: Every single keeper in the zoo. Uh, I've never seen a group more passionate about the animal or what they do and passionate again, back to not only the physical, but the mental health of, the animals they take care of. And there are a couple of things. Um, number one is enrichment. You know, and we even tell the kids this, um, you know, you buy, you get toys for your, for your, uh, the animals you have at home. Well, I know at least in ambassador animals, enrichment for those animals changes every single day. I also know that in uh, the social animals, primates, They change enrichment every single day. And I'm assuming they they do that all over the zoo. And that is to keep the animals, number one, from being gored. Number two, to keep the natural instinct. For example, they'll do puzzle feeders. They'll do this for the bears. They do it for all of the animals. They do it for the lions. Uh, The ones who forage for food, they Mm -hmm. give them puzzle feeders. So this brings on a natural behavior that the animal would exhibit in the wild. And just because they're not in the wild doesn't mean they don't still have those instincts for natural behaviors. So that's one of the ways that they take care of the animal's mental health. Mm -hmm. Another thing is I think training is extremely important and I learned a lot about training with ambassador animals but also with giraffes. Right. When I was uh, in my docent training class, we did a lot of behind the scenes encounters. And one of the ones we were doing was with drafts. Mm -hmm. And when we were back there, the keeper, whose name was Michelle, she knows she's at another zoo now, asked if there was a volunteer that could help her with draft training. And I jumped in. I mean, I (laughs) I was like, push back on welcome back, daughter. Ooh. Right. <laughs> so, I actually got to work with her. We did it about twice a week, and I was several years. And what she was training, the main thing she was training them for, was to participate in their own blood draws. True. So, this has a double purpose. Number one, I honestly think the animals enjoy training sessions, it gives them something to do, it's different from just wandering around. Number two, it makes medical procedures a lot less scary for them. So that's also taking care of their mental health. And um, I learned a lot about training. I also learned a lot about giraffes, doing that that training. Um, That was good many years ago. The giraffes that we have now, those giraffes that I helped train are gone. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've passed away, all Mm -hmm. of them. But one of them was Willow's mother so there's still a connection oh yeah <laughs> the, the main one that i helped train was juno and she uh her daughter is willow hmm. so um anyway you know i just think that th- that that's how they and i think really that's what is on most of the time is mental health mm-hmm. physically they make sure they're physically okay they you know they do annual exams. They have the vet in anytime there's any kind of problem. Of course, the husbandry gets done every single day in every single department. But then I think the rest of the time is really working on the mental health of the animals and making sure they're not bored. Oh, and another thing, um, there's something called stereotypic behavior. Mm -hmm. You may have have heard of that. Uh, When the bears, Betty and Sassy, got moved into their new habitat, which was about five maybe six years ago there was a group of us that did bear crew mm-hmm. and our job was to watch the bears and see how they interacted with the habitat and with each other in this new habitat and one of the things we watched for is what they call stereotypic behavior which is something like pacing up and down along the fence uh head, head rolling constantly what this means is the animal is bored
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, if we saw that, we would co- we would time it, and we would contact Amanda. Was actually there at the time. We would contact Amanda, or another keeper uh, if she was not there, and they would do something about it. They'd come out and they'd throw food, or they'd come out and train for a minute, or they they would do something to stop the animal from doing the stereotypic
0: behavior. I'm curious. Y- you mentioned. Um, Willow's mother Juno Juno so you mentioned Willow and Juno you mentioned Betty and Sassy one question that I was gonna ask you was about individual animals so one one thing that I think you focus on that I haven't quite heard from others in quite that way is just individual characteristics of, of the different animals. And I've heard you talk about Ernie the tortoise and all kinds of reptiles that have these big personalities. And for a lot of people, I think they don't associate, especially the, the reptiles or individual tortoises as having personalities. Talk to us maybe a little bit about your experience, discovering that and why that is a big piece of how you view our zoo animals.
1: I have a a wonderful example. And it's not an an animal that's here with us anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But just to give an example, to me, all the animals that I deal with or that I, even the ones that I see and don't know very well, have distinct personalities. I think this is something too that we should get across to zoo visitors mm-hmm. because it instills an empathy yeah. with that particular animal. And if you have empathy, then they are much more likely to you know, want to do something to help that animal's counterparts in the wild. And that's where conservation comes in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, the one animal I can think of, that really had her name was Mara, and she was a giraffe. Mm-hmm. And while we were training Juno, we did most of our training with Juno, but uh, Mara was just kind of like the uh, the giraffe in what is it, Madagascar? She's kind of a hypochondriac, but she also had some problems, some definite physical problems. She was older. In fact, we had her niece Kiara, here too, so there was a connection. Mara, her personality was such that all I had to do was put two fingers and touch her very briefly. Well, after the training sessions, we would give them what they wanted. With Mara, it was good girl lettuce. With Juno, it was carrots. Well, after the, I, I touched her, she looked at me as if I had grabbed her by the throat.
0: Huh.
1: And after the session, for that session and two more sessions, she would not take any lettuce from me whatsoever. One of my favorite animals is, the boss, is Vasa the Vasa parrot in okay. Vasa, And there's Vasa, and then there's Big Mama, and she is also a parrot. She's a sulfur-crested cockatoo. Well, Vasa, I said at one point I was going to get him a sign that said will work for food, because yeah. Vasa will work for anybody who has seeds. He doesn't care. Big Mama, on the other hand, her personality is such, she has her favorite people and her not-so-favorite people. And she will do nothing for her not-so-favorite people. Yeah. So again, it's two distinct, different personalities. I think every single animal in there has a personality, except for maybe the cockroaches. I'm not sure.
0: (laughs) You just, maybe you just need to hang out with them more. I'm not sure. (laughs)
1: Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, but um, I mean, I consider all of them like family members for some reason. Um, And the lion, oh, the lions. I mean... I watched Kwanzaa, when I first, when Kwanzaa first got here, I was here. Mm. And he came in, he didn't have a mane. I watched him learn how to, I watched him grow out his mane. I watched him learn how to roar, and he had to teach himself, he had no what? one to copy. And it was hilarious. And so how can you not feel con- totally connected?
0: Yeah. To He's an animal this whole like that. development.
1: Yeah, and then Achilles came. And poor Kwanzaa, I mean, she just ruled the roost. And he used to sit up on that rock all the time and after Achilles came, I noticed she was on the rock and Kwanzaa had a big scratch on his nose. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. And now they're totally bonded. I mean, after all, so many years, they finally, they're getting along beautifully. But again, two completely different personalities. I mean, that's one of the reasons, I I have a lot of reasons for volunteering. They change daily, but, Mm That's one of the main reasons is I just, I just feel close to all the animals and I love the wonderful care they're getting and that I get to be there with
0: them. Sally, I've never seen you at a loss for words. Tell us about (laughs) a time on grounds that left you speechless.
1: Oh, I'll tell you one thing. It's kind of funny again, it didn't leave me speechless, but oh, this is a long time ago, I was doing some sort of a program, it was a Girl Scout program, Mm -hmm. taking kids through the uh, predator building And the center's vultures were in there. And one of the kids came over to me and she said, I think that bird is dead. Well, I looked and the vulture was just spread out.
0: Hmm.
1: I mean, prone. So I thought it was too. It was pouring rain outside. I went all the way back to education because I didn't have a radio. Mm -hmm. Got a hold of somebody back there and they got a hold of a keeper. At which point she said to me, the keeper said, oh, he always does that. He's just, he's just pretending there's an egg there and he's covering it. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, and there's an, uh, um, I was walking down from the giraffe platform. This was, might have been last summer or the summer before. It was fairly recently. It was when we still had uh, a Johnny and Callie. Okay. So, I, um, from the giraffe platform, you can see right into the elephant yard. Bulwagi was in musk. And that's, you know, when he is kind of exhibiting his little manhood, and he's not a happy camper. He's he's kind of grumpy, and they kind of try to keep him away from the other elephants if they can.
0: Just a quick reminder, the Birmingham Zoo has the only bachelor herd of African elephants in North America, so they're all boys.
1: And the other boy elephants should kind of know that well. A Johnny, usually it was Callie that that would sort of confront Bowagi. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it was a Johnny. And he was, I think, the, he was like the smaller of the two. And he, uh, Bawagi was all the way up against the fence near the giraffe uh, station. Mm-hmm. Well, somehow, a Johnny got himself positioned along the fence in front of Bawagi. <laughs> well, this was not a good thing, good place for him to be at all. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Bawagi started going after him. And Ajani sort of shifted. Well, we were all watching. Nobody was feeding drafts at this point. We're all no. watching this. And A Johnny sort of scoots down the fence and Bawagi's right in front of him. At which point A Johnny trumpeted. I'd never heard any of the elephants trumpet before.
0: Uh-huh.
1: It was like, hell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're on your own, man.
1: I know. And I was just about to grab the radio and call the elephant keepers and say, hey, we got a problem. When I saw them, they heard it. And I saw them all come out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Every single one of them, they came up and they had food and they were just trying, they were distracting Bulwagi. Mm, they got it under control here. very quickly. But the best part was <laughs> once they sort of got Bulwagi away from a Johnny, a Johnny took off. Elephants really don't run, they kind of trot but he was going as fast as those elephant's legs would carry him back toward the lair. And every step he took a little poop came out. (laughs) (laughs) And I won't even say what we said. I don't know about speechless, but it was really, it it was pretty funny. So that'll be my animal one.
0: (laughs) I think that's a good one.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So Sally, you've been a volunteer for a long time at our zoo. Tell us about where the zoo was when you started and where it is today.
1: Well, first of all, I remember how it was when I used to visit the zoo. I've been here Mm -hmm. in Birmingham since 1981. Okay. And I used to take, about three times a year, I'd take a day off from work and just go to the zoo all by myself. My daughter once said, don't tell my friends you go to the zoo by yourself. They'll think you're weird. <laughs> 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 There's nothing weird about it. You know, and back then, it was when they didn't have the new habitat. I first started, the elephants were where the rhinos are. And mm-hmm. that was all they had, was that little area. And we oh. had two, uh, Susie had passed away by the time I got there. We had one Asian female named Mona. Mm-hmm. Mona was the, the matriarch of the zoo. But she was housed just in that little area where the rhinos are. Now, Mona apparently loved that. When she passed away, she pushed the envelope. She was, I think, maybe 65 when she passed away. Mm. She she outlived her, whatever her longevity was supposed to be. And she really had staff. She didn't have people. She had staff. (laughs) Right. And when she passed away, they had a memorial service for her. And like three generations of people would came to it.
0: Grandmothers,
1: mothers, kids, because she had been here for so long. Yeah. I mean, she was so loved at the keepers, it was like everyone's grandfather had died or grandmother. Soon after her death is when the, the the new elephant yard was being planned while she was still alive. Mm -hmm. But then they built the big elephant yard, and of course, you know what that looks like, the rest, as I say, is history. Mm -hmm. And The main reason I volunteer, (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which changes every day, is that no matter what I do out there, I feel needed and I feel appreciated, and I do feel that I am contributing to getting the zoo's mission across to the public.
0: Well, I agree, Sally. I want to thank you again for being on the call and on the podcast today. All righty. All right. Bye. And that's our show. Our art is by Phil Nellis. We want to thank our special guests for today for being on the show. If you want to support our zoo, go to www.birminghamzoo.com slash donate. The next time you're on Grounds, say hello to our amazing volunteers. Talk to you soon.